This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. J.C. Penny is coming here because of me. You ask anybody, they'll tell you. Joining me once again is Mr. Positivity himself, Wolfie T. I have to have a quiet when I do my illusions. What's up? I'm excited for another Minnesota movie discussion, another Coen Brothers film discussion. They're getting back together. The band <laughs> is getting back together. They're in the news. That's what I hear. Did you see the news? They're making a very bloody horror movie, is is the word on the street. Driveway Dolls, officially a flop, even though it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> Keeps on getting pushed back. But yes, um, with us, to help break down the Coen Brothers' most Jewish film, easily, I'd say, and to help explain it to a couple of goys, we have... With us, Mr. Zolly Becker. How are you, sir? You don't really think you'll win, do you? Things change. I'm good. It's good to be back here. Good to have you back. So this film, A Serious Man, this was Brett's first time watching this. That's true. Now, I saw when it came out, bought the Blu-ray right away. Seen it several times. It gets funnier uh, to me every time, and I feel like I have a better understanding you know, each time I watch it, but uh, I think it's safe to say that to fully comprehend this story, you should know uh, quite a bit about Judaism. Would you concur? <laughs> or the culture, the culture in general of Judaism. Yeah, the sure. Yeah, Outside yeah. of like the stereotypical things that get thrown around. I mean, you need like about... As much as in the average Seinfeld viewer. Right. Like, we're talking specific... Well, I mean, in fiction, there are only two religions. Everyone is either Catholic or Jewish. <laughs> like, there, there's no... There's nothing else. That's right. But, I mean, with its specific references to the Torah, shall we say. Oh, yeah. Lots of that. Lots of that. that. I suppose that, that does count. But most of the... Uh, Unchosen people would be oblivious too. Yeah, we forget it's not just for us, it's for everyone. We call that the Tommy Pickles effect. <laughs> the Tommy Pickles effect. Yes. Like the Tommy Pickles on the Rugrats is Jewish, right? His grandparents are Jewish. He gets Hanukkah presents. Rugrats comes out in 1991, 1992. So it saturates the original Nicktoon kids. Mm like the american jewish perspective in a level that like i don't know if et could at that time anymore it's like et could have been too far away for it to work so like when i first saw serious man like like i wasn't entirely sure if it was dropping like if it was if it was extremely yiddish but now thinking back to it yeah there's a lot of stuff in it that the average person even the nominal jew might not understand or be aware of, especially like the subtle horror aspects. 
Yeah, so we're glad you're here to help us uh, peer behind the curtain, as they say. So, Brett, uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm guessing, I mean, I know you found this this film funny. We talked about it yeah. before the show. But what would you say that you can relate to a lot of the Minnesota, <laughs> Minnesota nice type things in this film? It's I, uh, I was, it's not as Minnesota as Fargo is as, mm-hmm. as far as Minnesota movies, but yeah, sure. I, obviously, I relate to anything Minnesota. Speaking uh, for a couple of guys, this is one of the most Jewish films I've seen. Probably, I mean, I, I don't have like a top five list, but I'm, I'm guessing Munich would probably be on it. Schindler's List would be on it, I'm sure. But I find myself being more able to relate to the characters in this than any other film about Judaism or, or Jew or, or the Jewish people, I guess. But I guess my first question to you, Zali, are the Minnesota or the, the twin cities Jews, are they different from uh, the rest of the American Jews or because yeah, it seems yeah. like a lot of them are being passive aggressive in here. Is that? <laughs> yeah. There's Jews in America. Not, not, this is not a political thing. This is the, there's, there are three types of us. Three types of most of us are Ashkenazi Jews, you know, Eastern European stock, what have you. And you have New York Jews on the East Coast, you have South, you have California Jews on the West Coast, and you have Midwestern Jews in Minnesota and Chicago. And yeah, the passive aggressive thing is in effect. I suppose they're more like normal Goyish white people than our coastal cousins, so to speak. But um, yeah, that is correct. So you're you're saying that they've assimilated to the Midwestern? Yeah, because like most of us are descendants directly from people who didn't settle on the coasts, so they like were kind of middle class up until eighties and nineties, I guess. You know, ancestors, so to speak. So they didn't ever have that. Uh, they they never had that domination type spirit, and most of us are products of of mixed unions and so forth. Mm. So, yeah. So obviously this this film takes place in the 60s. I read on Wikipedia actually it was 67. I never caught a date anywhere. Did you? No, it's like it, it could be any time in the 60s. Yeah, I, I thought it was more early 60s, but I, I do remember seeing a date. I, I want to say it was after the opening they they showed a date. Okay. Um, I, I, I buy whatever Eric says because I get a vibe that it's post Kennedy. Okay. Sure. Well, I could what? be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. But I don't remember seeing a day anywhere. In comparison with the 60s and then even when we were all growing up, uh, how has the Jewish population fared uh, in the Twin Cities? I know for a long for the longest time it was St. Louis Park was kind of the uh center for Jewish population in the Twin Cities. St. Louis Park, Highland Park. Dino. So mostly just West Metro. Yeah. Mostly. That's a middle class. I mean, well, super rich, the super rich to live in where the super rich lives. I used to live at Jones in, I guess it was on the western tip of Minneapolis, right on the edge of St. Louis Park, right by Lake Calhoun or Biddy Makaska, as it's now known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you use that? That former that likes former name. 
conjuring up the images of slaves and dead Native Americans. Yeah, I dead named the lake is what I did. You dead named. <laughs> what was his deal? Was he the one that uh, orchestrated the uh, the mass hanging in Mankato? The, the biggest mass hanging of Native Americans in U.S. history? Was that him? Wanted you to get <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Oh. Oh, like oh like a die-in, yeah. What what oh, was uh like? what was Calhoun's claim to fame? Why did why did someone in why does someone in Mankato care about Lake Calhoun? No, I'm saying they named the the lake after the guy that Oh yeah. That uh, put that I together. thought it was the original native name for the lake. Like that's what they just they changed it back to whatever the Ojibwe or whoever probably the Ojibwe call it or something. And, I noticed they, they I noticed that when they changed the name they didn't actually give it back to the Ojibwe. Not that <laughs> so but yeah. <laughs> and like well, we know that that's a totally made up name, like and they just said this is the original name. Yeah. Kind of like Sky Yuma is a made up term and collection of words. We're, we're imposing it on them. <laughs> That's why they won't have museum set pieces anymore. So history can be changed to present. Just like 1984. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Literally, uh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they did in that book. When I lived there circa 2012, 2013, used to be there was a gas station across the street, and uh, quite commonly I would see Hasidic Jews there. Now, I haven't seen one for a long time. Has the population for just Jews or Hasidic Jews in general gone down? Or <laughs> Hasidic Jews stay in St. Louis Park, the ultra-rich area, not to say like all city Jews are ultra-rich and they have tunnels and we're gone and so forth, <laughs> but like they are mostly in Highland Park, the Ford Park area, and in the super wealthy St. Louis Park borderline Excelsior type area. Okay. They mostly don't leave their area because they you know, they don't drive on the weekends for the most part. Sure. They don't roll on Shabbos. And for all we know, they have tunnels and they can't get very far <laughs> outside the area. So, you know, they're, they're, par they're as paranoid as Amish people, I guess. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's probably what. Uh, but have you noticed over the past 10 years or so that, I don't know, I don't know how often you go to, you know, the synagogue or whatever, but does it mm. seem like the congregation is dying out? Or... Yeah. Cultural Judaism has totally died locally, for the mm. most part. It was it was dead by like the 2016 election almost. Um, that was the last the last time I was at the Minneapolis JCC was in the September of 2016. The Minneapolis what? JCC, Jewish the Community. Jewish. That's okay. And okay. by then it already you know died down to nothing. It was just kids who were, you know, friends who were still on good terms with their grandparents. That okay. was the Jewish community. What's left of it, which is too okay. good. But are the the synagogues still well attended? I do not know. I haven't gone uh, knock on wood because you know they don't, it's only do emergencies. I haven't gone to synagogue unless those you know 
a wedding or a funeral. Mm. But mostly, you know, churches have those. That's because most of the people who have those go to church still. All right. So, like, I don't go. Not like, you know, I annually don't go. Like, I'm, you know, like, like upset. No. It's just, you know, I went, I went to Jewish school. I got it all. It's in me. I'm good. I'm fine. Speaking of which, the main character of the story, Lawrence Gopnik, he teaches at a Jewish school, right? Yes. So what's with the South Korean student there? There's a lot of adoption in our culture. Um, well, his, <laughs> I don't think he was adopted, but he saw his father. Well, there are, a lot, there are a lot of adoptions and there are a lot of conversions and there are a lot of... Uh, okay. Um, it just yeah. seemed like for the 60s, that seemed pretty... Pretty out there. Is it like well, that All in the Family episode where uh, Sammy Davis Jr. shows up at the Bunker <laughs> household? Late sixties, it had what you know what what takes you in the you know the present. You know the future takes root in the present, and like uh, I guess by you know the mid sixties, that kind of thing was more and more normal. But usually, conversion is only just. I'm going to say something really mean. Conversion is something that a white lady does when she marries a rich Jew. Like men who convert, that's like weird. It's very weird. It's like, <laughs> that's you, cool. like well, I don't mean to sound like it's like like can you convert to being Irish? No, you can't. There's like there's there's the religion and there's the you know right. The, there's the your own Judaism is, you know they, they can see it on blood tests. Yeah, you know? no, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't mean to be mean, but like that's and going to Jewish school, you know, you know, there's always you know the one really mean kid. You'd say something like so and so doesn't belong. But sure. like, you know, it's not nice. It's not nice. And mind you, that kid would usually progress to covering swastikas in the bathroom. And stuff. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Okay. By, I mean, my Jewish upbringing, you know, is 1995 to 2002 or something. And my guess is that that's exactly how it was for the previous three decades. So I'm assuming that's, yeah, mid-60s. So, okay. yes, that all that means it's certainly closer to 67 than before. 67 the cusp of the 70s well that's interesting with the your uh, when you're talking about the converting adolf hitler's blood quantum of the jewish people well i mean yeah i mean i don't i don't take it seriously i mean is victoria silstead jewish is she really jewish <laughs> or uh tiffany haddish yeah, she really. Jewish. No. <laughs> she had that bar mitzvah like a couple of years ago or something. She found it's out some distant relative was Jewish, and I must be Jewish. It's something they can. It's something they do so, like you know, the the kids can feel like they're they can feel like their kids are biblically Jewish in the biblical sense. But biblical Judaism dies with Reform Judaism. Sorry, once you don't do one thing, you're not doing anything, and. Not me being mean. You know, with a lot of Christians, I guess especially more of the evangelical types, 
they always, you know, trying to spread the word. You know, they want people to convert don't, to Christianity. The, the Jews kind of don't care or what? Yeah, because we don't, it's not possible. I mean, like, you can't, like, you can, can you, can you convert to being Italian or Polish? No, you can't. It's sure. like the dumbest shit in the world. And I know that's very mean, but if the Coen brothers made a movie that was, if the Coen brothers made 50 movies that were as mean as Burn After Reading, they'd get to that at some point. But my guess is, that's all they're going to say about, you know, Adolf Hunt. Adolf Hitler's blood quantum of the Jewish people, I guess. They're, they're more or less is more with the clones. Speaking of burn after reading, you bring that up. Here's a little fun fact for you. I don't know if you noticed, but. Here's a fun fact. Uh, when they're talking about the divorce, he's talking with the lawyer and I believe the wife, Lawrence's wife, retained. Is it Tubman Marsh or Tugman Marsh? I'm not sure if it's Tug or Tub, but uh, that was also referenced in Burn After Reading at the end when George Clooney thinks that guy's following him and he finds him in the street and kind of starts to rough him up. He's like, I work for Tugman Marsh. I work for Tubman Marsh. He's his wife's, he finds out his wife's going to divorce him and whatnot. But so they must have been a local law firm back in the 60s, Tugman Marsh. You think so, or do you think they made them up? It could be an amalgamation, you know. Could be. Maybe they were just uh, names of people they knew, and they put them in. Is it? Because, like, most of the like the big law firms that existed in the '60s, more or less, in some form, exist today. Right. Mind you, it, it wasn't an exclusively Jewish thing till like the mid '90s, because there was some cultural ghettoism and so forth. Well, I don't know anything about that because, you know, I didn't come on the scene until the 90s. But, like, um, I assume the Coens have no reason to lie. But, like, yeah, I mean, if they use the same name in both movies, I think that might be one of their things. Like, you know, the Sam Raimi mobile and so forth. One thing I was a little confused about is, is Larry's lawyer Jewish? I think so. Because he so. seems to know everyone in the Jewish community. I think so. Cy Abelman. I think but... that he is, and he's a. And I think the the problem with 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 his with his lawyer is that he works for Gentiles who who can keep under their thumb. I think like okay. he's, he's not a great lawyer. He's he's like a terrible ambulance chaser because he didn't know what a get was. Yeah. So, well, I mean, most people wouldn't know it. Most people wouldn't know what a okay. get, get or any of those, or you know, even a golem or shit like that. They wouldn't know. Any of these terms, they know like Schmaltz and Schwartz, and that's it. And that's like a lot. That's it's like eighty sure. percent of Yiddish, right there. All right. Uh, before we get more into the the Yiddishness, uh, let's get into the details. So this film was, of course, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. They also, uh, I'm not sure if you knew, but they do tend to edit their films, and they have a pseudonym that they use, Roderick Janes. Yeah. What was the deal with that? Didn't they do that for like award nominations? Because you could only have a single editor nominated or something like that. 
possibly. That's I think that's why they used to only have Joel be the directed by because you couldn't do a double bill credited by for director until I don't know mid to late nineties or something. Next thing you know, the Daniels are winning best director. <laughs> the Daniels <laughs> for that god awful fucking multiverse movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, all the Fairley Brothers movies, they always said directed by the Fairley Brothers, at least starting with Dumb and Dumber in 94. Yeah, they have so, but they I weren't they, they weren't up for any nominations. Right, but they were I think when they won the award they were Peter and Bobby, I think. Okay. But there was uh who was it that directed the uh uh Menace to Society? That was a pair of brothers too. Oh, Albert Hughes and yeah, he's brother. brothers. Yeah. yeah, not not John, but <laughs> no, but I think that only the Joel and Ethan Cohn thing. I think for the most part, it would always be like Joel Cohn. Well, they most of the movies like up until the mid two thousands said they were just directed by Joel Cohn, but then in the mid two thousands they'd say Joel and Ethan Cohn, but then they broke up, supposedly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but. Credit is a weird thing. Do you have an insight into that? What do you think broke them uh, up? Was it COVID or was it the wives? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit that's going on in that in that side of uh, the world. I mean, remember all these people: the Cones, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, Lucy Lawless, Robert Tappert, <laughs> Kevin. Stroll, they're all together in the mix. They're all they're all in the mix in some weird way, and they all affect each other. And so when one of them is having a problem, I think they all have. I know that sounds completely insane, but um, <laughs> I watched this Left Behind sequel, this left sequel to the Nicolas Cage Left Behind, starring uh, Kevin Sorbo. All right, so Kevin Sorbo is going to be in all these direct TV, direct to video. Amazon sequels to shit. So that means that like they're all going to be on the up and up. That's why the cones got back together. I think. I know that sounds insane. But that's my calculus. That's your, uh, <laughs> that's your mentaculus? Yes, that's my, that's my advanced uh, Cohen Ramey-verse metaphysics that <laughs> But yeah. Oh, funny, interesting thing about being biologically Jewish. Sal, Sam Melamed, Fred Melamed, who plays Cy Abelman, he's Jewish, but he's adopted. Okay, so he's not... But he looks physically Jewish. So you he's... wouldn't call him a, a real Jew. Well, hang on, though. <laughs> I know. I do have a theory where, like, kids who are adopted young, they, like, get saturated. They, like, become Jewish. The nature versus nurture? Yeah, because I mean I think that can happen. But like if you if you did a blood test on them, they'd say that you know, say that I don't mean to be mean. That's what you'd say that. But they've been they've been successfully turned Jewish, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. No, yeah, Fred Bellamy looks like I would swear in the court of law. According to my Judar, <laughs> he's as Jewish as Michael Lerner, but no, <laughs> no, I'd be, wrong. I'd be wrong. So that's that's how worth this Judar is. But yeah, 
I think if you get adopted, you try to like look like your parents, kind of. Like you hold your face like them. I know that sounds horrible to say, but so like you kind of resemble them in like a hero worship way. So like, I, my guess is that Fred Melamed's parents looked like Ben Steeler's parents. But anyway, I digress. Yes. Okay, let's uh, get to, let's go through the cast. Michael Stuhlbarg plays uh, the main character, Larry Gottnick. Richard Kind plays his brother, Uncle Arthur. Uh, Fred Malamud, as you said, plays Cy Abelman. Sarah Lennox plays Larry's wife, Judith. Aaron Wolf plays their son, Danny Gopnik. Jessica McManus plays the sister or daughter, uh, Sarah Gopnik. Uh, Peter uh, Brett Mayer played the neighbor, Mr. Brandt. David Kang played Clive Park. John Kaminsky Jr. was Mike Fagel. Uh, Alan Mandel was Rabbi Marshak. Amy uh, Landecker was the other neighbor or neighbor on the other side, Mrs. Samsky. George Weiner was Rabbi Nochner. Michael Tesla was Dr. Sussman. Steve Park played Clive's father. Okay, in the beginning, the uh, the Yiddish folktale, it's Alan Lewis Rickman played, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Shettle Husband and the Shettle Wife. I don't know whether that's a, that's a town name or a... Shettle. S-H-T-E-T-L. Fivish Finkel was the Dybbuk? Question mark, it even says. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. That's the most... See, I'd say that's the... This is going to sound horrible, but that's the most interesting part of the movie. Mm. The cream show vignette of the Dybbuk. Um, Adam Arkin was the divorce lawyer. Simon Helberg was Rabbi Scott. Michael Lerner was Solomon Schlutz. I think that'll do it for cash. That's, that's a, a list of entirely Jewish names. Yeah. And and anybody else uh, you wanted to bring up or point out? I mean, I already. I, I mean, I. That that's everyone. That's like basically everyone. But like, I think yeah, the kids but, were local. Local finds. Yeah, that's what they do usually. Local here, and I think uh, the neighboring states, which is nice, I guess. Yeah, this was filmed. All throughout the Twin Cities, uh, the Godnick's home is right here in Bloomington. I used to live just a couple blocks from there. Um, now I'm about a mile away, but I swear, you know, everything looks so different in the film. Like they must have, you know, CGI'd out a lot of the surrounding area to make it look more, you know, uh, underdeveloped, like it would have been in the 60s. Well, I think, or they went to like, you know, you know, a few blocks or they could they it's possible they did that or they just you know had a small part of st louis park they made look bigger i was going to drive there again today but i was sick um i was going to drive there on my way to work but um yeah i wasn't able to confirm because uh jones and i drove by there years ago and took pictures like oh here's the got house and it looked similar but you know the neighborhoods also this was what this was made in about 2008 Yes. Right on the cusp of 2009. So we would have taken pictures around 2016 or so. But yeah, there's uh, some scenes in Normandale. There's some, I forget the name of the synagogue in St. Louis Park where they have all the synagogue scenes. There's uh, St. Olaf College. It's for like the science. Um, when Arthur's teacher, or sorry, not Arthur, uh, Larry's teaching. 
the the Jolly Rogers of Motel. I've seen it several times, but I always forget where it is. IMDb says it's on Portland Avenue around up around 60 or maybe it's 50 something. I forget, but I don't know. It seemed like I don't know if that's where it is, but there's definitely a lot of locations you can drive around and go see. And it's uh, quite interesting for us uh, Minnesota guys to see that. But let's get into the the Yiddish folktale, which I read that is not real and one that the Coens made up. What do you think is the point of the opening vignette? How does it relate to the film, or does it not relate at all? Well, the overall thing is that life is non-sucked, and life is nonsensical and terrifying and unjust. And the Yiddish folktale being made up, not being a real Yiddish folktale, speaks to all of that. You know, okay. even this story is a lie. <laughs> but um, based on a true story, by <laughs> Oh, you know, Joel Fargo. and Ethan Cohen. Fargo, Fargo, no way. Always. Yeah. Everything they do is based on a true story. Well, I mean, like, John Millis is a real person, but, like, only that he's not, he's not Walter. He's not Walter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like Walter. <laughs> exactly like Walter. Yeah. But Millis didn't uh, convert, though, did he? <laughs> no, Millis is by, like, <laughs> it, it fuels his. His desire to wield weapons. <laughs> when you divorce your wife, you don't stop being Jewish, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Walter. Well, you know, Walter. Walter might be more negative commentary on converting to Judaism to please some third party. Mm. I mean, like, is Walter such a great hero? Is he such a hero? takes care of his ex-wife's dog and he celebrates her holidays. He's got papers. Uh, remember, everything everything badass and based John Millius, like Walter says, that's Joel anything Cohen saying. That's not, <laughs> that, that's that's his really saying it. And, you know, we're talking, you know, we're talking mean, we're talking vicious. Fargo is not a love letter. It's, it's a wood chipper murder mystery. That it is. <laughs> Or as, as Brett, as we were saying last uh, episode when we were talking about it, you know, the, that time you were watching it, you're like, well, this is just how people talk. This is just a, a fascinating crime thriller, right? So it's just a straightforward crime thriller that's set in Minnesota. It's not a comedy. Yeah, it's, it's well, it is like completely straightforward, except for how, you know, sunny and nice Ken Dormand is. That's what makes it like, I guess, heightened and funny. Mm-hmm. But right. like it's it, it is it's but they do sing a lot. He does they do kind of sing a lot of Asians for scorn, don't they? Because they also have it in, in Fargo with the yeah. loser, the loser ex classmate who's like, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like, the wonder you talked to me was the greatest day of my life. Um, <laughs> you're such a nice lady. There, there are a lot of recurring <laughs> themes, but yeah, serious man. Is more Jewish than Fargo and the Big Lebowski. I should also point out at the beginning, there's the the text. The quote says, "Receive with simplicity everything that happens to you." Uh, by Rashi. I don't know what that is. What is R- Rashi? Is that a a poet or a? I don't know. But that speaks to more of the randomness of everything, and there's no justice. There's just, is there a Rashi? Rashi is a medieval French rabbi. 
Wow. Hmm. Hope you didn't do anything really bad. Look at a lot of those poets and philosophers come out of France, don't they? Well, I'm just saying, if he has a Wikipedia thing, that means like he made some dancing history. Yeah. So a Dybbuk, I've been led to believe, would be a zombie. Yeah, like a zombie, a revenant, or a ghost. Or, I don't know. I mean, like, we could, this is going to sound mean, but like, there's most movie, like, most horror movies are the dreams and fascinations of Jews. It, it's weird how the Dybbuk never comes up. There's like that one movie, and there's the Sam Raimi produced Jeffrey D. Morgan movie that I actually never saw. Well, like, aside from that, you have the word is never mentioned. Oh, so that movie was called Dybbuk? I think so. Or like the Dybbuk box or Devil box. Or... Mm. It was not the resident, but only the cones and people from the Rami sphere care about the word being preserved even. Apparently there's a, there a movie from 1937 called The Dybbuk. Hmm. Was, was it from America or is it from, you know, Looks maybe Jewish or not Jewish, German or Polish, probably Polish. Let's see, Polish, yeah, Poland. Well, you know, there, there you go. Probably the answer to uh, the Gollum. You know, we haven't really seen much of you know silent Polish cinema, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about silent movies. Nobody cares <laughs> about silent movies. Well, 37, it, yeah, they'd be talking. It so. says it's in Yiddish. Yeah, so. yeah, they might as well be silent. <laughs> yeah. That's well into the talking period. So uh, after the opening vignette where the, the husband was helped by a stranger, invites him back to his house for to warm up with some soup, and it turns out it was a, a dead relative of the wife. She would, she would yeah, She stabs him with an ice pick, uh, and he does bleed, but then it's... Almost well, like it's a, it's a delayed reaction because he yeah. just sits there. Yeah, we don't know if it, if it affects him or not. And the yeah. husband is freaking out, and uh, and then it was like the 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 evil spirit kind of relents, and that's when the blood starts coming out. And mm-hmm. yeah, now I'm hungry. At first, his reaction is like a villain reaction. I know where I'm not wanted. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> leave. And then, you know, I guess the body, he lets the body die. The problem with that is the whole movie can't really live up to all that. Because that's so, like, first of all, it's in a different aspect ratio, so it, it makes you pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And it's and, subtitled, too. And, and the rest of the movie is, like, this kind of, like, kind of cringe dramedy. And there's nothing, like, scary, like, scary or intense. But that's, like, like, as intense as, like, the opening of Blade 2, almost. It's like the Jewish version of Blade Two, more <laughs> Jewish version of Blade Two. Like because that, yeah, because you know. So, so what about the the main story is cringe to you, or well, cringe the, in what the, way? The whole story is like the well, like in the same way you relate to Larry David, kind of you kind yeah. of your, sure um, protagonist in his his, his talking his, like a like an awkward cringe comedy type his, aspect or yes his life of humiliation and failure sure his, his death by a thousand cuts <laughs> and also his, his kid also more or less is a copy of him well and it could have been called a serious cock right well yeah that was before <laughs> word cuck was really used right yeah 
like the 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 character in a serious man and the character of Paul Dano and the Fablemans are like the same guy basically, and they're they're both like an attack on that that archetype of like wannabe wasp Jewish guy who is crushed by life and circumstance. I guess here's another correlation I didn't think about till now. You know, everyone's wondering in this film, Cy Abelman, really? Cy? I guess in the Fablemans, everyone's wondering, Seth Rogen, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, and like Cy's wife, her, her body's not even cold. It's only been <laughs> three years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole marriage, divorce, you marriage, death thing is way different now because, you know, the divorce culture. In the 60s, I suppose, is just getting started. Sure. Just barely getting started. I, I got to assume the Coens have a, have a kind of a, a detestation for most of things that are modern. After the, the folktale, is it, do we meet Danny first or is it uh, the Schrodinger's paradox discussion? I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. It cuts between Danny in school and uh, Larry getting his physical. Okay. <laughs> at the doctor's office. You know, Danny's got his book up, his old book tent to to block his uh <laughs> the view of the teacher so he can listen to his Jefferson airplane tape mm-hmm. on his little portable radio. And he owes his bully uh twenty dollars for weed from a week ago. <laughs> and I he puts it in his radio, he's got a little pocket in the radio, and then he just somehow tries to get it to the bully and Gets caught, and the teacher takes his radio. Mm-hmm. A nice little soundtrack to this film, but uh, I think there's four Jefferson Airplane tracks. You know, there's that Jimi Hendrix song. Now, it seems like this movie was, I know it came in under budget, but I'm sure the budget was very minimal as well. A lot of relatively unknown actors, probably the most famous names were like Richard Kind and I forget the name of who played uh, Rabbi Nochner. Stuhlbarg was unknown at the time. Oh, no. This is what made him, I guess. Yeah. Hey, is he known today? <laughs> he, no. I don't know if I would have uh, would recognize him from anything. Uh, he's also in uh, Boardwalk Empire uh, several seasons. That's amazing. Oh, I, I never saw that. I never watched that. And he's in, um, God, he's, he's in a few films that I want to say he's in a couple of Spielberg films. Because I haven't watched a lot of the recent Spielberg, so I don't know. Probably. But I think I've seen him in trailers for like Bridge of Spies or he's something like that. I think. I could be wrong. I'm not even going to look it up, but it's so unimportant to me. <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, but he, he's he, done stuff now. I'm he was in Bones and All. He was in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. Both Doctor Strangers. He's, a, he's a Marvel the, guy. The Post, The Shape of Water, the Academy Award winning The Shape of Water. <laughs> He's been in more Marvel movies. Call Me By Your Name, another Oscar nominee. Yes, I don't know if you guys have seen the recent little pointless stories, clickbaity articles or pictures on Facebook or Twitter talking about Jesse Plemons and how you know, he's in Killers of the Flower Moon making it his seventh film that he's acted in recently that's been nominated for best picture yeah, every he, single one of them is lost <laughs> uh, and that trend well, is going to continue with killers of the flower moon that's not winning well that bodes well for a civil war <laughs> yeah 
Well, I mean, it is amazing that he's got that filmography, though. Him, him and Adam Driver are really good filmographies. He's like the John Cazale of uh, yes. the, the teens, yes. right? Yes. Yes. The Cazales, they always won, though. They all well, yeah, won. That was the he died. Well, he died. actually, well, Dog Day Afternoon, that it didn't win, part, but it was just nominated. It yeah, it, 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 but yeah, you know, Godfather 2. Godfather. Conversation. Godfather 1. These are all, yeah. Deer Hunter, right? No, he's only alive for like one minute. Mm. He's dead. He wasn't alive in the 80s. He's dead. Gone. The movies that Jesse Plemons in, is in that don't get nominated are probably better than the ones that do get nominated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. You can't tell me that the power of the dog is better than Jungle Cruise. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is actually true statement. I mean, true statement. Or that the Irishman is better than Game Night? Come on. I love Game Night. And he's very good in Game it. Game Night is fucking amazing. It was, I, I was shocked when I first saw Game Night at how good it was. And he is the, he steals the show, Jesse Plemons. God, he's, he's so great in there. All right, I guess let's get to our first clip, right? Sure. Yeah, the first clip is uh, in Larry's office with Clive, who's not uh, happy with the grade he got for the midterm. Oh, Clive, come in. So, uh, what can I do for you? Uh, Dr. Kamnik, I believe the results of the physics midterm were unjust. Uh-huh, how so? I received unsatisfactory grade. In fact, F, the failing grade. Uh, yes. You failed the midterm. That's accurate. Yes, but that is not just. I was unaware to be examined on the mathematics. Well, you can't do physics without mathematics, really, can you? If I receive the failing grade, I lose my scholarship. And I feel shame. I understand the physics. I understand the dead cat. But you, you can't really understand the physics without understanding the math. The math tells how it really works. That's the, the real thing. The stories I give you in class are just illustrative. They're like fables, say, to help give you a picture. I mean, even I don't understand the dead cat. The math is how it really works. Very difficult. Very difficult. Well, I, I'm sorry, but I, uh, what do you propose? Passing grade. No, no. Or perhaps I can take the midterm again. I know now it covered the mathematics. Well, the other students wouldn't like that, would they? If one student gets to retake the test till he gets a grade he likes. Secret test. No. Uh, hush, hush. No, that's just not workable. I'm afraid we'll just have to bite the bullet on this thing, Clive. And Very troubling. Very troubling. So I'm guessing because of the, the time frame it takes place in, and you talk about him being a converted Jew. So he was probably uh, a Korean refugee. Yeah. Because I'm guessing that's why the neighbor hates Clive's father so much. <laughs> you know, the neighbor has nothing but disdain for Larry. And, but he seems to protect him once Clive's father shows up. It's probably because he <laughs> fought in the Korean war. He's got the crew cut. He seemed like he's a military yeah. man. So yeah, it seemed like he was harboring a little uh, prejudice from the Korean War, but I was I was busting out this this part because I don't know if you took physics in school, high school or college, it was a math department. but 
But when he says, I didn't know I'd be tested on the mathematics, <laughs> I was like, I was laughing so hard on that. Because that's all it is. It's just fucking math. <laughs> and they were, they they seem to be in a pretty advanced class of physics, right. too. You know, because every time they show him the whole blackboard is he's got one of them like floor to ceiling blackboards that covers the entire wall and it's just filled with formulas. And uh so it's, it's gotta be a pretty advanced class. And he's proving the Schroeder's or Schrodinger's cat paradox or whatever it is. And uh yeah, so I was just laughed at that. <laughs> hush hush, secret <laughs> test. <laughs> Like I said earlier, this film just gets funnier uh, every time I watch it. I've probably seen it six times, something like that. Uh, I remember the the first time I saw this, I was a bit, I wouldn't say underwhelmed, but close. You know, this was not long after No Country for Old Men, and then they did Burn After Reading. And then this, which is so kind of minimalist, you know, it's a tiny budget with unknown actors, and there's Yiddish folk tales, and it's about this Jewish family, and I guess a Gentile like me couldn't really grasp a lot of its Jewish <laughs> concepts, but yeah, I'm uh, I just like it more and more every time I watch it. It's kind of like Fargo; it just gets, keeps getting funnier. You might say you're a convert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never disliked it. It's an acquired taste. That's how I feel like with a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Not all of them, but some of them. Like uh, you don't really get them the first time, or they don't feel like as as good as you think they should be until you watch it a few times. And then you start to to pick up on all the little things they stick in there. Although this one being the first watch, I, I really liked it uh, right off the bat. It, it really clicked. Uh, I, I think it helps just me. having watched Fargo and you kind of get Through, a lot of yeah. the, all the, the Minnesota nice, the passive aggressive stuff. It's kind of like a continuation, you know? <laughs> Well, and we brought up Larry David a few times. I'm I'm a huge fan of Kirby Enthusiasm. And this is similar humor in a lot of ways, too, um, to that show. Right. A lot of social interaction or social taboos. And here's a question. Uh, what are your guys' top five Coen Brothers films? What would You don't have to say necessarily five to one in order, but what would be in your top five? Zolly? Big Lebowski, Burn After Reading, Fargo, Serious Man, um, I, mean, I don't know, Miller's Crossing, probably. Probably. Or or the remake of True Grit, probably. But but they really only have three really good movies. Actually, strike that. Strike that. The fifth best movie is Raising Arizona. Mm. But you don't think pe- it's a good movie, that? They're all good, but like the, they have good four great movies. I see. The rest I see what you mean. Really good is what you mean. But probably their greatest are, are Fargo and The Big Lebowski. But The Big Lebowski, I think, is way better than Fargo. Like by leaps and bounds. It's their most perfect thing. It's, it's their perfect thing. Yeah, that's another one that doesn't really get old. Promise, you know, I've seen that one probably a dozen times, and there's still little things I'll finally pick up on each time i watch it you know uh what about you brett that's a good question i'm looking at the filmography and no country for old men it's probably my favorite followed by fargo but a lot of the, like there's there's a few i still haven't seen yet and a lot of these i haven't seen in a long time and i need to rewatch them 
Serious Man. Like I said, I really like that. I'm trying to think of it. I thought of some of these other ones. Have I seen the man who wasn't there? I don't know if I've seen that. Uh, Big Lebowski was kind of a meh for me on a rewatch. I like that better. Yeah, I think I would have to rewatch some of these to to give a a more uh, sturdy list. Yeah, I think Fargo would have to be my favorite, but it's it's pretty much neck and neck with Big Lebowski. I also love No Country for Old Men, of course. Barton Fink, I think I'd have to put in there. And then, uh, I guess I'm not sure. Maybe this or, yeah, I'll say this. It's okay. We're not being tested on it. I, I know people people rave about Hail Caesar. And I, I thought that was just okay. But maybe yeah. I'd like it more if I watched it again. People like it because it's like accidentally anti-communist. Or like an- accidentally right wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh they they're uh, really uh, commentating uh, about how terrible the uh, the communists in Hollywood were back in the day. <laughs> Maybe it would have meant more if they kind of pushed the release date to that film like another two years or so. Yeah, because that came out in 2016. I, I'm sure it came out well before the election. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where they, you know, we swear we weren't writing about this. Just like Nolan and uh, Dark Knight Rises, I'm telling you, it's not about, it's not about Bush, not about, not about Wall Street, Patriot. not about it's the one percent. It's not about the Patriot Act. Oh, well, that's, that's, Dark, that's Knight. Dark Knight. That's Dark Knight, <laughs> and it is about the Patriot Act. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Uh, I think maybe we can get to our next clip, which is uh, the divorce talk. I want to mention one of the funniest recurring things in this movie is right <laughs> right before this clip, but Larry comes home and his daughter is trying to get in the bathroom to wash her hair. She's constantly wa- trying to wash her hair so she can go to the hole, which I, I don't know, is some kind of, I assume it's some kind of club and not some kind of underground tunnel. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she can't get in the bathroom because you can't joke there. about that. Only is all I can joke about. Oh, I'm that. sorry. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a pass. It's fine. <laughs> a J pass. But her, her uncle Arthur is in the bathroom and he's got this cyst on his back, on the, on the base of his neck. And he's constantly sucking juice out of it. And he's in the bathroom for hours and hours at a time. And anytime somebody mentions Arthur's in the bathroom. He goes, I'll be out in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed every time. You can hear in the background of this clip as well, because she keeps on knocking out in a minute. (laughs) Richard kind. He's just funny in everything I see him in. It seems like very talented. I wish I'd see him in more. You know, he's funny in curb, uh, spin city. You know, he's done voice work on some animated still, you know, inside out and things like that. But, He's yeah, in a surprisingly uh, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like he'll just pop up and stuff. It's like, oh, I don't know, he was that big of a <laughs> movie star. You know, he's in everything. Yeah. So yeah, at the uh, we we forgot to mention that Clive left an envelope full of money on his desk, and or uh, did he? Except <laughs> <laughs> the mystery. There, there is a envelope full of cash on Larry's desk after the meeting, but you don't know how it got there. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, it's defamation to say 
uh, that Clive put it there. And Larry's trying to return all these calls. He gets calls every day from Dick Dutton, from, was it uh, the Columbia Record Company? The Columbia Record Club, which I didn't realize they went back that far. But yeah. that was a hilarious thing, too. Either of you guys a part of that? I know or, we did. Or a, a record club at all? We did the trial at least once in the 90s to get a bunch of CDs, but we never like signed up for it. Zolly? Yeah. Were, were you uh, ever a member of the Columbia Record Club or any other? No, like uh, Columbia House, yeah. I mean, for a minute, but it, you know, I think these are just normal growing up things. Like everyone, right, has the oversubscription to Columbia House. These these things happen. I but, did it for for DVDs. You know, it was yeah, like ten DVDs it. for a penny or whatever, a penny each, and then you, know, well, you got to buy. I don't know, like maybe five more throughout the year at the regular price, something like that. So I'd get like DVDs in the mail, just like Danny's getting records in the mail like every the, month. The pick of the month. And if you, you know, you could say don't send it to me, but if they did send it, you could still, you know, return to sender. Otherwise, you'd be on the hook for it. They like, I think they did like it was like twenty five dollars would have been the the retail at the time for a new DVD. Twenty, you know, if it marked up because it's a record company. But I was gonna say that that actually sounds cheap for. For that type of deal, it's like a it's, Sam, Goody. Would have Sam been, Goody. Sam Goody would have charged a thirty. Yeah, well, this would have been like two thousand three when I did it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> they used to have the most ridiculous MSRPs on those those DVDs yeah. back in the day. I don't understand how Sam Goody was that popular. It must have been because they're the only one in the mall, basically. You know, there was two of them at the MOA at one time. Yeah. But uh, they were one of the few stores that actually sold music and movies at MSRP. Yeah, like I mean, you go to Best Buy and it's like ten bucks, and you go to Sam Goody, twenty five. Well, I'd go to you know Suncoast, and their prices were a bit similar to Sam Goody, not as outrageous, but marked up a little bit. But you you accept that because of the selection they have. I think everyone was fine with it. No, not that Sam Goody didn't have a good selection, but you know Suncoast had like. Basically, the biggest one or the most obscure titles. Yeah, they couldn't compete with Sam Cross. But they had the exact same prices as Sam because, like, you'd check from, you know, Mall of America location number one to Mall mm-hmm. of America location number two that they had the exact same. Yeah, it seemed like Suncoast tended to have more sales of like it, a select titles. There'd be like an end cap of, you know, these movies are, you know, $5 off or $10 off this this month or whatever. It didn't yeah, seem like Sam Goody had a lot of those sales. Well, the Sam Goody only had some DVDs. But I mean, right. in the Mall of America, they had a giant Sam Goody with a movie section as big as the Suncoast, a smaller Sam Goody, and the Suncoast. Back in yeah. the good old. Yeah. But that's so you could really tell, you know, what's what. And I suppose that the only reason Suncoast could have overflows because they had so much stuff. Mm-hmm. But most of what the overflow was was like, Image DVDs of Kiss of the Vampire and uh, the the movie uh, Tales of the Mystery uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and the movie, the DVD of that for Image Entertainment. That was mainly what the overstock was. My very vivid memory of those days. The glory days! Speaking of the glory days and Mall of America, I saw that picture of you recently at the new uh, Toys R Us. 
Yes, it's a fake Toys R Us. It's a, it's, it's like a pop up or something or what? It, it is it is in the old location of what I believe the the KB Toy Works was in the it's where the KB Toy Works was, and it is only as big as the KB Toy Works on the inside. If anyone remembers that, it does not smell like a Toys R Us. It does not look like a Toys R Us. The stock is just shit that they couldn't sell on Amazon mm. in the last five years or so. Who bought Toys R Us? Then some big chain store by them. I think Macy's did. Mm. That, that sounds about right. That's right. Well, Macy's, you go to the basement and they got that, you know, the kids section with all the kid clothes and then they have a bunch of toys. I don't know if the other Toys R Us is other one. The flagship location. I forgot. I forgot for a second that Mulder has a kid because I was going to say, "Why are you down there in the other kids section?" <laughs> <laughs> this is defamation. Then <laughs> remembered. Oh yeah, he's got a kid. He can actually get away with it. <laughs> he has a reason to be down there. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So let's get to this next clip. With Judith brings up uh, the divorce. Uh, I should say, I was at the tail end of my last point. Was he has all these phone calls? He's trying to get back to Dick Dutton, the Columbia Record Club. Also, Cy Abelman has called him. Yes, and his wife wanted him to talk to Cy Abelman, and he did call him. But then he finds the money. He's like, "What? What is?" <laughs> He's like, "I gotta go." You know, honey, honey, did you talk to Cy? Cy. Cy Abelman, that's right, he called, but I... You didn't talk to him? No. You know the problems that you and I have been having? Mm. Well, Cy and I have become very close. In short, I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. Cy Abelman? This is not about Cy. You! Mentioned, sorry. Don't twist my words, Larry. A, a, a divorce? Well, what, what have I done? I haven't done anything. Larry, don't what be do... a child. You haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. Yes, yes. We haven't done anything. And, and I'm probably about to get tenure. Nevertheless, there have been problems, as you know. Well, and things have changed. And then, well, Sarah Abelman. Sai has come into my life. Come into... I... What, what does that mean? You, 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 you... Barely know him. Oh, please. We've known the Abelmans for 15 years, Yes, Larry. but you said we hadn't done anything. I haven't done anything. This is not some flashy fling, Larry. This is not about whoopsie-doopsie. Cy Abelman? Look, I didn't know any other way of breaking it to you except to just tell you and treat you like an adult. Is that so wrong? Where do I sleep? What? Arthur's on the couch. Look, Cy feels that we should... Esther is barely cold. Esther died three years ago, and it was a loveless marriage. Cy wants a get. A what? A ritual divorce. He says it's very important. Without a get, I'm an aguna. A what? What are you talking about? You always act so surprised. I have begged you to see the rabbi. So do you guys believe that uh, there is no whoopsie-doopsie? No, not for a minute. No. Oh, really? See, I was... Um, 
especially listening to it now, I was kind of thinking, you know what? Maybe there hasn't been hanky panky because a, just look at Cy Abelman. B, <laughs> you know, she wants to get. It's very important. It seems like faith is pretty important to her. Like I got the vibe that she's attracted to Cy because, I mean, I don't really know how to say this other than, I don't know she thinks he's a better Jew than than Larry. If that makes sense. Well, well, Cy appears to be retired, seeing as he has time to go golfing in the middle of a weekday. Well, <laughs> and he's always wearing that cabana gear. It could have just been Men's Day at the course. <laughs> you take work off for that. But he had a very nice. He had a very nice car too. Uh, Zoli now in like you know a lot of Christian churches. There's a lot of different titles religious leaders have: priest, pastor bishop, all that kind of stuff. There's also other roles that the more common folk play, like deacon or elder. Are there similar roles in the Jewish faith? There's a rabbi and a cantor, and the cantor is like the singer of the choir or whatever. But okay. like, like super rabbi or grand rabbi or whatever. But, um, you know. And what are the, the rules regarding marriage and rabbis? and Well, the, the Jewish divorce thing is like forgotten more or less but like uh it's basically the same as christianity no in, ter in terms of like rabbis can they get married oh yeah rabbis can get married yeah it's different than catholicism okay but there isn't like different level of rabbi where it, you get a, to a certain level it's like well you you got to be celibate type of thing no none of that. okay no. Sure. there's no there's no pope equivalent there, there's no Bishop, like Cardinal, main like rabbi in uh, in Jerusalem and uh, Israel, kind of running the show for all the other rabbis. Only there was. <laughs> uh. I was talking to Eric when this tunnel story came out. And he said, "I think I was talking to Eric about this. That's why they didn't want JFK getting uh, uh, elected president because they thought they would build a tunnel from the White House to the Vatican so the Pope could run things in America. <laughs> well, maybe they knew something we didn't. <laughs> and that's why they assassinated him three years later. Yeah. Well, actually, it was because LBJ wanted to be president, so that's why also, they did that it. That was also a big component. Well, they should have built a tunnel because now you hear all those stories about, you know, the, the communication cables that they lay on the bottom of the ocean, the internet, the phones, the how we're all connected. And like Russia is just going to sever it at any time at a, on a whim. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off our internet. I don't think they swim that good. Well, they got like some James Cameron type submarines that they can take down there. Is it like uh, <laughs> Leith, or uh, is it like uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One? It's not Part One anymore, Brett. <laughs> it's just well, Dead tell Reckoning that to the now. Academy. Tell that to the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Live Die Repeat. It's got a new they, name now. Until they decide that we should call it Edge of Tomorrow again. <laughs> but uh, the Academy—they nominated the theatrical version, not the one on Paramount Plus. Sure. So, Sayu Abelman came into my life. I like how she says it like that. It's just like he just appeared. It just <laughs> it seemed to me like it was a it was a similar situation to Carmela hitting on the priest in the Sopranos. Somebody that they feel is closer to God, 
makes them feel closer to God and they're attracted to that. And I don't know if maybe Cy Abelman held like a kind of like an elder type position in the church, in the, in the faith well, or something, but it kind of seems like Cy has been trying to kind of weasel his way into uh, Judith's, uh, Judith's life. That's her name, right? Judith. Yeah, he's trying to been trying to weasel his way into her life ever since Esther died three years ago. Mm. It was three years ago, and it was a loveless marriage. So maybe even before Judith or uh, Esther died, maybe he's been planting the seeds, and now it's time to sow what he uh, <laughs> time to reap what he sowed. Sow his oats. <laughs> he's about to. Yeah, I mean, at the end, when you find out he's the one been, that's been writing the, the tenure committee, the letters, the disparaging <laughs> letters against Larry. Don't worry about those. We don't even take them into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> what are you telling me about of that? <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, interesting uh, that you guys are of the of the opinion that she has literally cucked Larry. Um, I wasn't I wasn't sure, but yeah, I it's well, very possible. It's less certain here, but I think later on they kind of confirm it. You think they looked a little too close at Embers? <laughs> <laughs> Said on the same side. What happened to Embers? All on the same page. Who bought Embers? I thought they watered off. They just went out of business, or somebody bought them. I vaguely, I vaguely remember Embers, but I don't know how frequently we went there. Okay. Well, I think we can get to the next clip. This is when Cy comes to the house, talk to Larry. Cy? Good to see you, Larry. I'll get you to... No, listen, actually, um, I'm here to see you, if I might. Such a thing, such a thing. Shall we go on you know, Larry, um, the way we handle ourselves in this situation is so important. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Judith told me that she broke the news to you, and she said that you were very adult. Did she? Absolutely. The respect she has for you. Yes? Do you drink wine? Because this is an incredible bottle. This is not Morgan David, Larry. This is a, <laughs> a wine. A Bordeaux. You know, Sai. Open it. Let it breathe ten minutes. Letting it breathe. So important. Thanks, Sai, but I, I'm... Listen, I'm not... I insist, Larry, there's no cause for discomfort. I'd be uncomfortable if you didn't take it. Mm. Larry, listen, these are signs, tokens, Larry. I'm just, I'm not ungrateful. I just don't know a lot about wine, and given okay. our respective... It's okay. Uh... Larry, we're going to be fine. Sai Abelman is at his most passive-aggressive, I think. Um, It's pretty... Funny seeing it now in the context of just having watched Fargo again. Especially when you find out later that he's so full of shit, you know, because he's been writing the the tenure committee, these letters. Yeah. It's like he really must have it out for Larry. Maybe it's just another part of him trying to get Judith. Because why would Judith want to stick around Larry if he's not getting tenure and he's not going anywhere in life? But he, like I said, I think he's been planting the seeds for years. I, I like too that they they keep saying to Larry like you were very adult about it, like it's so condescending. This guy's got like kids in high school, <laughs> you know. He's a he's a college professor. You're very adult about the the news, Larry. 
Judith has so much respect for you, Larry. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. The last Ember's restaurant closed in 2021. Oh, really? Yeah. That recent. On forever. COVID killed it off finally, huh? MapQuest says there's still an Ember's in uh in Grove Heights. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Brett, you I would know. know. I don't know what to believe. So this is on Highway 55, just north of 117th Street, mm. which I don't believe them. Uh, speaking of, you know, we've mentioned Fargo a couple of times. I thought maybe we could compare uh, Larry and his son to Jerry and his son, Scotty, because they seem uh, very similar to me, at least the, the sons. The fathers are a bit different. I think Jerry's a bit inept, but at the same time, Larry's, you know, getting cucked the whole movie. I, I think Jerry had a very high opinion of himself. Sure. But he was just a loser at heart. Right. And Larry was, he's just like the, he's like the, the typical like doormat, you know, uh, mm-hmm awkward jewish guy it seemed like uh danny and scotty were very similar in that they neither really had uh, a lot of respect for their father or their parents in general i think danny's a bit more rebellious because scotty just seems to go to mcdonald's (laughs) it's like the only thing he does i mean he he also talks back he swears and whatnot but danny you know he's he seems to have no uh (laughs) All he cares no about respect smoke. for his father. Yeah, all he cares about his F troop and smoking weed and F troop. F troop's coming <laughs> in fuzzy, Dad. <laughs> There's another great recurring bit. Like just how many times he complained about F troop not coming in clear. <laughs> I remember watching F troop as a kid, but I don't remember like specifics because it was it was only on reruns up until like the early '90s, I think. Right. I do remember we used to make fun of the, the theme song. I don't even remember how the whole thing went, but at the end we would go, with a pee and a poop, F troop. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Arthur. He's writing this thing called the Mentaculus. Now, is that a, an actual word? Is that something you made up that just to title what he's doing, which is know. basically like a card counting book? <laughs> A book of uh, probability and statistics. You said something, Zolly? It's nothing. I've never heard of it before. I mean, okay. So much as be his name for whatever he's writing. But a bunch of mostly incoherent numbers and equations and scribbles. Dude. Yeah. It, it looks like one of them journals that you, you pick up after you find out that uh, your relative killed 20 people. <laughs> You it know, was a bit similar to The Shining when uh, Larry picks it up, starts flipping through it, and it is like, I'll work and I'll play, make Jack a dull boy. Like, like every page has different handwriting on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that type of thing. Later on, you do find out that he's been using it to win at gambling, card games and whatnot. Illegal card games, which he was invited to by the Goyam. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which when the, later he gets uh, told he can't gamble anymore and play cards or whatever, and it's it hurts him really bad. 
Mm-hmm. He's very emotionally devastated by it. Yeah, we'll uh, get to that clip later. Uh, where do we go to now? I think we do have another clip soon here. Well, he brings uh, Clive back to his office to ask him about. He doesn't outright ask him about the money, but he. he... This was another funny scene to me too, because he's like, "Are you missing anything?" Like, no, I know where everything's at. I'm not missing anything. You know, like he knows exactly what he's talking about. Because I didn't even tell you what it is yet. (laughs) I know where everything's at. (laughs) Not missing anything. (laughs) Now he just kind of holds up the envelope, envelope, and says, "Well, this is something. It was left here on my desk." And and Clive denies it. We'll fix the grade then. (laughs) He he and and later I think we have the clip of the dad meeting with Larry, but. They have this thing where, like, they deny paying him, but also they don't want the money back. Uh, they want Larry to keep the money and change the grade. You know, it's like the transaction has already taken place. You need to do your part, but there's no transaction. It, you know, it's it's <laughs> they, they, they deny it while also confirming it. Uh, I think our next clip is the when Clive's father threatens him, so. If there's anything you want to talk about before we get to that? Well, there's a scene where Larry's on the roof fixing the aerial. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he starts peeping on the uh, the neighbor next door, sunbathing naked. A very uh, attractive older woman, if I do say so myself. He damn near fell off the roof staring at her. All right, well, let's get to the next clip then. This is after uh, uh, there's a couple of different scenes regarding the property line with him and the uh, the crew cut military man neighbor next door. Yep. He's going to build a, a boat shed, I think. Because he, he keeps on mowing the lawn in a way that it's overlapping Larry's lawn. He's mowing part of Larry's lawn. And Larry's just pissed about it. Yeah, so there's like a disputed property line. So it's it's well known that uh, the neighbor is not a fan of the Gopniks. Probably uh, anti-Semitic uh, at, the, at the least. <laughs> Seems like he doesn't like anybody other or, you know, anybody else who's who's not a wasp, basically. It seems like he's in the wrong neighborhood, though, you know, for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the lady on the other side is Jewish. I, I do want to say the, the meeting with Clive's father is in the driveway as Larry is packing up to move to the Jolly Roger, which right before that is the meeting at Embers with Judith and Cy. Where Cy mm-hmm. decides that it would be best if Larry moved the out of the house and into the Jolly Roger, right? For, for the children's sake, because <laughs> yeah, it definitely would make more sense for Judy to move in with Cy. And you think he's he's probably got a big house? I mean, with all the money he 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 clearly has. Sure, you know he's probably he looks really well off. So here's the clip where Clive's father confronts Larry in the driveway. Could you crash? Could you crash? With all respect, Mr. Park, I don't think it's that. Yes. No, it would be a culture clash if it were the custom in your land to bribe people for grades. Yes. So you're saying it is the custom? No, this is a defamation. Ground for lawsuit. Let me get this straight. You're threatening to sue me for defaming your son? Yes. But it would... Is this man bothering you? Is he bothering me? 
No. I, uh... Look, if it were defamation, there would have to be someone I was defaming him too. All right, all right. I let's keep it simple. I could pretend the money never appeared. That's not defaming anyone. Yes, and uh, passing grade. Passing grade. Yes. Or you'll sue me for taking money. So he did leave the money. This is defamation. It doesn't make sense. Either he left the money, or he didn't. Please, accept the mystery. <laughs> So yeah, the, the neighbor was ready to protect his uh, his neighbor. Yes. Even though he's Jewish. Well, the, the scene wraps up with the like the theme of the whole movie, except the mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remind me to uh I have a question and point about the, the tornado later, but where do we get to from here? Danny's been practicing the Torah for his <laughs> upcoming bar mitzvah. The uh, first rabbi segment. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's actually, I think, our next clip. Yeah, he goes to visit Rabbi Nachner, but he's been called away, so he has to meet with the junior rabbi. Mm -hmm. Scott. And I forget what he's on. Uh, he was on Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah. Can I share something with you? Because I too have had the feeling of losing track of Hashem, which is the problem here. I, too, have forgotten how to see him in the world. And when that happens, you think, well, if I can't see him, he isn't there. He's gone. But that's not the case. You just need to remember how to see him. Am I right? I mean, the parking lot here. Not much to see. But if you imagine yourself a visitor, Somebody who isn't familiar with these autos and such. Somebody still with the capacity for wonder. Someone with a fresh perspective. That's what it is, Larry. I... Because with the right perspective, you can see Hashem, you know, reaching into the world. He is in the world, not just in shul. It sounds to me like you're looking at the world, looking at your wife through tired eyes. It sounds like she's become a sort of thing, a problem, a thing. She is seeing Cy Abelman. Oh. They're planning. That's why they want the get. Oh, um, sorry. It was his idea. Well, they do need a get to remarry in the faith, but... This is life. You have to see these things as expressions of God's will. You don't have to like it, of course. The boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. <laughs> That's right. Things aren't so bad. Look at the parking lot, Larry. Just look at that parking lot. <laughs> I, I love the line, the boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. Mm -hmm. That's such a great line. Yeah. Quality before the hammer. <laughs> uh the next clip is actually the lawyer meeting, which is basically right after this. Larry's got a he's got to retain a lawyer for uh, to settle the divorce here. So he meets yeah. with this I forget the guy's name, but he's the guy I questioned if he was Jewish or not. 
but everyone who he seems to have worked for him, you know, he he puts Solomon Schlutz on the property dispute issue. He knows Cy Abelman and like their history. So it seems like, like you said, Zell, he must be Jewish, but he's he's played by Adam Arkin, who is Alan Arkin's son, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Was he born in Scarsdale? <laughs> Wait, is uh, it Wait Until Dark? That's the name of the film? Yes. Have you seen that, great. Zolly? Yes, I have. Alan Arkin's great. great in there. What a great movie. And Audrey Hepburn plays the world's champion blind lady. <laughs> she sure does. All right, here's that next clip with the lawyer. How are you, Larry? Jesus, I am so sorry to be seeing you under these circumstances. Oh, well. I always thought you and Judy were rock solid. This is so terrible, Larry. This is devastating. Well, you know, the way I look at it, it's an opportunity for me to really sit down and figure things out and look at the world afresh instead of just, you know, settling for the routine, tired old way of looking at things. Really? I don't know. Maybe not. Well, legally, I have to warn you, it is never easy for the husband, unless, of course, there's some question of the uh, wife having violated the marriage contract. Oh, no, no, nothing like that. Although she is planning to marry Cy Abelman, but they... Cy Abelman? Yes, but they... Esther is barely cold. She passed three years ago. Well, still, this changes the, uh, the complexion, Larry. Cy Abelman. Not in the sense that there hasn't been hanky-panky, to my knowledge. Oh. No, I'm fairly certain this is not an issue. And in fact, they, uh, Judith wants a get. A, a what? A ritual divorce. Oh. So that they can remarry in the faith. Ah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, well... Not really a legal issue. Okay, um, good, good. Well, on the other thing, uh, the, uh, the neighbor's property line, I've asked Solomon Schlutz to take a look. There's very little to do with uh, real estate that'll get by Saul. Okay, good. How do you, I guess I'm, I'm a little worried, how do you, I have money pressures? Our fee structure, we bill by the hour. Uh, Dave Siegelstein, Solomon Schlutz, bill at 110. The associates, uh, me, for instance, bill at a... Call for Mr. Gopnik, Danny at home. You, you can take it here. 0809. Danny? Hey, Dad. Are you all right? Are you all... Is everything... F-troop is fuzzy. What? F-troop is still fuzzy. Dad? Is everything okay? <laughs> uh, the F-troop stuff just cracks me up. Fucking calls him at the lawyer's office. <laughs> oh. Again, another person, Cy Abelman. <laughs> he is barely cold. <laughs> Esther? Esther's yeah. barely cold. Yeah, it seems like, you know, everyone is sh as shocked as Larry is. But, you know, obviously, uh, as we, we talked about, like everything, it's almost like Murphy's Law. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong yeah. for Larry in this film. But he does seem to keep that 
upbeat mentality because <laughs> the, well, the lawyer goes, well, really? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, he still does that. I don't know if it's a Minnesota nice thing or maybe just part of his character, but he does seem to be at least of the appearance of being cordial and upbeat throughout the film. But what do you guys think? This character is that a is that a Minnesota thing? I think it's just character. I was thinking that's kind of a Jewish thing, though. Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know. Maybe not. They have been through considerable hardships throughout the years. One or two. Um, <laughs> what or two? Yeah. Well, you know, here he's taking Rabbi Scott's advice to heart. You know. And then, uh, like you said, as soon as he gets questions uh, questioned about it, he's like, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he, he's doing his best to, to keep a positive outlook on it while his whole life falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that's almost a stereotype of, and there's a lot of Jewish stereotypes, and we don't have to go over all of them, but uh, <laughs> it does seem like they have a sense of humor about persevering through all the things that they've had to deal with over the years. Would you agree, Zolly? Oh, yes. We, we do. We do persist. Our next clip is about the Goy's teeth. Now, this is a great story, but it is very long, so I did not, not accept get the story. entire clip. I just got the tail end of it. But So so before we get there, we get the uh, kind of side-by-side, not side-by-side, technically, but like back and forth of Larry driving through town and Saul or uh, Sai driving to the golf course. That's right. That does happen immediately before this meeting. And uh, Larry sees Clive on his bicycle, and Clive <laughs> is wearing a mask. Yeah, you know so that Larry has this like I don't even know how to describe like the uh, he's like a visceral reaction to seeing Clive out riding his bicycle through town. Mm-hmm. He's just so mad about it that he ends up rear-ending somebody and then getting rear-ended himself. Meanwhile, Sai's trying to make this left turn uh, in front of a blind corner. It's a very poorly designed street and uh, entrance to the parking lot at the, the golf course. And we find out that he also was in a car crash at the same time, but he died. And so Sai Abelman is now dead and we have to have a funeral tomorrow. <laughs> And guess who has to foot the bill? <laughs> Judith thought it would be best that I pay for size funeral. <laughs> so you see, he finally gets to be with Rabbi Nochner, and he's telling him all of this, and it reminds him of a story about uh, the Goy's teeth. And this, uh, even like before he finds out that Sai dies, is when he finally gets a hold of Dick Dutton at the Columbia Records and finds out he's <laughs> Four months behind on payments. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the record they had sent him? Santana, something by Santana. Did they have a Braxis? Yeah, Braxis by Santana. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask for a, a Braxis Santana. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it. It was been sent out to you. What's the name of that uh, Jesse Ventura film, Zolly? Something of Braxis. Uh, Braxis. Just, just called a Braxis, nothing else. Yeah. So. Call it Braxis. Is it any good? No, it is not that good. It's not not even like entertaining, ironically. Well, it's, entertaining. Or... It's, it's entertaining. It's great, but it's not a. Uh, it's not 
It's not uh, fine art. I don't want to derail the podcast, but Zolly, have you seen the Minnesota film Untamed Heart with Christian Slater? No, I actually haven't. It's on Amazon Prime. And it is one of the dumber movies I've ever seen. But man, it's it's shocking how entertaining it is. Just I, I think I just like the idea of people thought this was like a good script and it got made. And I forget the director, but it's the guy who made uh guy who directed Flyboys, James Franco film. But it is just a ridiculous premise. It's so dumb. I, I might even uh, challenge you to watch it, Brett. I'm not sure. I'm debating it right now. <laughs> I think it's on my list uh, to watch. Yeah, I, I had it on my list because it's a Minnesota film. Directed but... by Tony Bill. Mm-hmm. Christian Slater, Mercer Tomei, Rosie Perez. There's 40 actors in this film, 35 of which are local. Marissa Tomei does a local accent. She does a passable Minnesota accent. She's a, a waitress at a, a coffee shop, and her her best friend is played by Rosie Perez, <laughs> the most you know like Puerto Rican Brooklyn accent accented person you could ever meet. That was right in their prime too. That was like yeah, white white men can't jump, and my cousin, my cousin Vinny. Vinny. Yeah, I mean they're you know coming off of Oscar noms. Rosie Perez takes the the Kevin Costner approach in that she just doesn't attempt uh, an accent. <laughs> So it's so out of place that she's working at this uh, Northeast Minneapolis coffee shop. But I digress. It is it is something to see. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> let's get back to Rabbi Nochner. So yes, yes, he tells a story about the the goy's teeth. It's uh, I forget the name of the, the dentist. It's a Jewish dentist, Doctor Lee Sussman. Sussman. And uh, he is a patient, uh, a Gentile, uh, and he's examining his teeth. He uh, he does a mold for dentures, I think, or some, some sort of dental work. It was like bridge work or something, they said. Sure. And when the, the, the mold dries, he sees that it looks like there's a, a carving in his teeth, an inscription. And it's in, in Yiddish? Hebrew. Hebrew, oh, sorry. Hebrew. Yeah. Hebrew. But like it, it wouldn't, there's no way for it to be there. You know what I mean? Right. It's a yeah. It's a mystery. <laughs> How is it possible? Accept it. Uh, yeah, Hebrew, it says, help me, save me. And then uh, Hebrew, every uh, letter corresponds to a number. Yeah. Which, which is why the monster energy drink translates to uh, 666. <laughs> Monster, beast monster, but it, <laughs> but Sussman he he translates the Hebrew to the numerical and then he calls it it's a seven digit number so he's like it's a phone number I'm gonna call it and it's the Red Owl in Bloomington <laughs> the Red Owl grocery store in Bloomington Zali do you remember the Red Owl grocery yes, stores I do. I do you know I grew up in the boonies West Central Minnesota and my hometown had a Red Owl grocery store. Until about the mid early nineties, I'd say. Uh it was bought by somebody else. But I couldn't believe it when I first saw this film. I go, there were other red owls. So it must have been like a Midwest chain. I don't remember. I don't remember them. I grew up on the east side, so I love the logo. The little red owl. <laughs> but yeah, he, he calls the number, it's the red owl. Doesn't really make much of it. 
he's seeing the rabbis trying to figure out what it all means. He he goes to the the lengths of examining his wife's teeth while she's sleeping. He's looking through every mold he's ever made of his patient's teeth, looking for other messages. Every Nothing. new patient he checks out. For, mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually he visits Rabbi Nochner, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, this is uh <laughs> this is our clip here. <laughs> Sussman goes home. What does it mean? He has to find out if he is ever to sleep again. He goes to see the Rabbi Nachner. He comes in, he sits right where you're sitting right now. What does it mean, Rabbi? Is it a sign from Hashem? Help me. I, Sussman, should be doing something to help this guy. Doing what? The teeth don't say. Or or maybe I'm supposed to help people generally lead a, a more righteous life. Is the answer in Kabbalah and Torah? Or is there even a question? Tell me, Rabbi, what can such a sign mean? So, what did you tell him? Sussman? Yes. Is it relevant? Well, isn't that why you're telling me? Okay. Nakhni says, look, the teeth, we don't know. Signs from Hashem, don't know. Helping others, couldn't hurt. No, no, but who put it there? Was it for him, Sussman, or for whoever found it, or for just, for, for... We can't know it? everything. It sounds like you don't know anything. Why even tell me the story? <laughs> First I should tell you, then I shouldn't. What happened to Sussman? What would happen? Not much. He went back to work. For a while, he checked every patient's teeth for new messages. He didn't find any. In time, he found he stopped checking. He returned to life. These questions that are bothering you, Larry, maybe they're like a toothache. Feel them for a while, then they go. I don't want it to just go away. I want an answer. Sure. We all want the answer. Hashem doesn't owe us the answer, Larry. Hashem doesn't owe us anything. The obligation runs the other way. Why does he make us feel the questions if he's not going to give us any answers? (laughs) He hasn't told me. And what happened to the goy? A goy. Who cares? <laughs> Such an unsatisfying story and <laughs> ending. The mystery will continue. So you're saying that's that's the sentiment that a lot of Jews yeah, have about the goy, about the going. No, yeah, well, yeah, but yeah, but also the the whole thing encapsulates the whole movie, the mystery. Sure. It's, yeah, that's that's the theme. Why why do we have the questions if the uh, the answers aren't coming, mm-hmm. or at the very least unsatisfying? Hashem doesn't owe you the answers. The obligation goes the other way. Is this about the time where? Uh... Well, next is Sai's funeral, right? Where they say the name of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Sai Abelman was a serious man. I don't think he was. I think he was a goof. 
they're sitting Shiva at the Gopnik's house and they're visited by some authority figures. Are they FBI or just cops? It's hard to tell. I think they were just plain clothes cops. Because I think they were riding in a, a regular cop car. And uh, they're there about Arthur Gopnik and they weren't going to arrest him, but they wanted to warn him about gambling and card games. It's, it's illegal in this state. They were very confused when Larry said they were sitting Shiva. <laughs> it's a it's a religious observance. We're bereaved. <laughs> bereaved. <laughs> uh, who died? Uh my wife's uh it's a long story. <laughs> Today it would just roll off the tongue. My wife's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very relevant to today. It's just the norm. If this was made today, Larry would be like, okay, I mean, just, you know, let me know when you need me out of the house. He'd be like the Adam 22 of the Jews. Yes. <laughs> uh, the bar mitzvah is fast approaching. We find out, sorry, we find out that Judith has drained the, the joint uh, marriage uh, bank account. Right. And uh, Larry thinks she's stealing out of his wallet, but it was actually uh, his daughter mm-hmm. <laughs> who steals from his wallet. And then Danny steals from his sister. <laughs> well, she's saving up for a nose job. So nobody in this house is getting a nose job. <laughs> That's like the as a Jewish person, uh, a nose job has to be like the most offensive uh, self-hating uh, acts that you could you could uh, inflict upon yourself. I mean, yeah, yes, and no, yeah. <laughs> Certainly, the self gets slippery. <laughs> Was that kind of the the stereotype, right? This the self-hating Jew or whatever. Well, also Jewish people having big noses is a stereotype. Well, well obviously, but that's that's always the caricature. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> did you uh, watch Maestro Zali? Yes. Did you, uh, what did you think of Maestro? It's like a Ryan Murphy thing. It's, uh, there's nothing. I quite enjoyed it, but I think it was just because I was entranced by uh, Bradley Cooper's portrayal. Now, I knew nothing about Leonard Bernstein, so I'm not talking about accuracy. I just felt like he had kind of transformed himself. And he spends way too much, you know, there's that story going around about he spent, what, how many years trying to, to, to learn how to conduct this this piece yeah. that was like what six minutes or something yeah, that's all it's like how hard is it to actually conduct it's like everyone else is playing you just got to keep the beat <laughs> and know where the crescendos are and whatnot but but i digress but yeah i just felt like from the first scene i was like man he's he really transformed into a different person but i i seem to be in the minority like everybody i follow in letterbox i don't think anybody gave it much of a glowing review. I've not watched it yet. I will watch it at some point before the Oscars. Was it Lorez or somebody else that I, I think Bradley Cooper watched uh, Blonde? <laughs> Blonde is good. I like Blonde. Well, Lorez raved about Blonde. So yeah, he if did. He said that it would have been a glowing review. Not if they're stealing from Blonde. Blonde was a top five movie last year. It was for Lorez. 2022. And you. Yeah. Blonde was a borderline ASAP. And it seems like Zolly can curse. 
I do. I like Von Lau. I I realize it's inaccurate and all that. I don't care. It's, it's I like it on a theatrical level, really on a theatrical level. I like the mark they're making. Sure. As I said, I gave it two stars, but I did say I would like to revisit it again. Oh, it's a trashy movie. I like it. I like that. <laughs> it's good. It's very stylistic. It's very, good. very stylized. Uh, getting back to the serious man, uh, the next scene I believe is uh, Larry. So the, Larry starts having these like visions and nightmares, and one of them starts with him in class talking about the uncertainty principle and proving it mathematically that you can't know everything, right? Or you can't be certain about anything. And then all of a sudden, all the students are gone, and it's just Cy Abelman sitting in the <laughs> in the auditorium. And then he assaults him mm-hmm. against the blackboard, only for him to uh, wake up. There's another dream uh, where he's having sex with a neighbor. This is after he had gone over there and apparently smoked weed. Yeah, he tries to shoot a shot. And she gives him some weed, and he gets so high that he can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then they're interrupted by sirens, mm-hmm. which are Uncle Arthur being brought back to the Gottnick house in handcuffs. Or a solicitation and sodomy. Yeah. Now, some old Danny they, doesn't know what sodomy is. <laughs> did they? Uh, did they say it was at the North Dakota or in North Dakota, or is it something else that I misheard entirely? I know they said North Dakota. I'm not sure if they said the or in, but I, I couldn't tell if that was like a, a bar or a club or something. Seems or like if, that's like, a long way to transport a, a person they just arrested home. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. It's like it doesn't make sense that he would be arrested in North Dakota, so there must be some kind of place that he went to called the North Dakota. Sure, that scene was hilarious too because like Larry's trying to figure out what's going on and he's high, and he's <laughs> asking Arthur and the cops like what happened, and Arthur keeps saying, "I told them this was my address, and uh, I thought it would be better than telling them the Jolly Roger because." Arthur and Larry are staying together at the motel. And then Danny's like (laughs) chirping in the background. It's just like a a mess. This leads to another dream, which it had me going for a while. It it seemed very realistic. I mean, I should have known with all the dream sequences, but in light of all these legal troubles, it's they seemingly are going to go up north and, Larry's going to send Arthur across the border and he gives him the money that Clive had dropped off at his desk and he's paddling away in his canoe across the the lake to Canada. Supposedly in the Lake of the Woods or thereabouts, some border lake. And then he's suddenly shot by the neighbor who is there hunting with his son. He says, look, there's another Jew over there, son, or whatever. Yeah. And then you find out it's a dream, but yeah, there was like three or four dreams like that. They were pretty wild. All right. Well, let's uh, start to wrap this up. We do, Our last clip is at the pool of the Jolly Roger, the empty pool, where Arthur is just a wreck. So real quick, to recap a few things, too. Real quick. His divorce attorney recommends Ron Meshbesher as mm-hmm. a criminal yep. attorney. Yep. Ron Meshbesher, well-known throughout the Twin Cities up until at least the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Russian Spence. 
Yes. And in fact, those lawyer, those scenes with the lawyer were filmed at Mesh, Pesher, and Spence, the law firm. They made their day. And then uh, Solomon Schwartz comes in and he's got an opinion on the, the property line <laughs> matter. And he gets all his papers together and he's getting ready to tell him his opinion. And he drops dead. And it seemed like it was going to be in favor of Larry. Like he, like he found something that yeah. is, you know, beneficial to you. And then the loophole that, you know, you could take advantage of that only, you know, he knows how to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And of course he just drops dead before they can figure out what it is or how to take advantage. Also, basically the whole movie, Larry has been wanting to see Rabbi Marshak. Yes. Told he only speaks with the, He's retired from pastoral work. He only speaks with the the boys who had just had a bar mitzvah, basically. And uh, which actually, uh, another fun fact, apparently, as they put it, the germ of this film, kind of the origin, was a similar experience that Joel and Ethan had growing up with with a rabbi similar to Marshak, who would speak to the young boys after their bar mitzvah and whatnot. So... So Larry finally gets in there and he's trying to get, you know, meet with them. And uh, the secretary goes to see if he's available. And he's just sitting at his desk, just like sitting there, <laughs> not doing anything. And she comes back and says, uh, she says he's busy. <laughs> he's just, he's uh, apoplectic. He's like, he doesn't look busy. <laughs> And she goes, he's thinking. And then she just closes the door. And like, <laughs> she just like d- dismisses Larry. Yeah. Uh, do we get to the bar mitzvah now? Actually, it's the uh, the Arthur uh, breakdown in the middle of the night. So that's the clip, I believe. <laughs> Arthur, you've got to pull yourself together. <laughs> it's all shit, Larry. It's all shit. Arthur, don't use that word. <laughs> it's just Fucking shit, Arthur. Look at all of the hush I've given you. What has he given me? He hasn't given me shit. Arthur, what do I have? I live with the Jolly Roger. You have a family. You have a job. Hashem hasn't given me shit. He hasn't given me buckets. It's not fair to blame Hashem, Arthur. Please, sometimes, please calm down. Sometimes you have to help yourself. Hashem hasn't given me shit. Now I can't even play cards. It's okay. It's okay. And what's funny is they have you mentioned the uh the Canada dream. Mm-hmm. So Larry wakes up from that, and Arthur's sitting on his bed next to him, crying still. And Larry goes, "Were we at the pool last night?" "Yeah, yeah, we were." Because now he doesn't know what's reality and what's dreams. Right? He can't keep them apart. And now it's the bar mitzvah, and Danny's getting high in the bathroom beforehand <laughs> with his friends. Uh, he's a fucker. <laughs> Give me that fucking thing. Very uh, coarse language from those young men. Yes, the kids are very profane. So Danny's very high. He goes up there to read. Uh, so here's here's some questions for you, Zolly. Yeah. Does everyone at a bar mitzvah read the same passage from no, the Torah? Yeah. 
stuff. It's all different stuff. I don't know if two people get the same one ever. They okay. Must. They must, but like for the most part, no. So I assume you had a bar mitzvah. Yep. So, but um, was it like, uh, like you meet the rabbi and they say, "Okay, let's have you read this passage." Yeah. How is that decided? It's over a long six month process, but yeah, it's exactly like confirmation. I think. Okay, I think. you're you're studying the Torah for months, if not years, and then. Yep. There's a certain section you just have to memorize. Well, not yeah. memorize. You're reading it, but. No, it's meant because you don't really need to memorize. You're not supposed to read it like the. I'm sorry. What is the object called? It looks like you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. The what? It's called a yad, a yad, and it's yeah, a yad. It, it's okay, a, that metal, metal pointer hand. thing that yeah. kind of rests on the Torah. Yep, okay, it. that's just to kind of keep your place, but you're supposed to know it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so he has a little difficulty at first. The rabbis help him get it going, and then, you know, uh, Larry and his wife are just beside themselves in joy, and she's she apologizes for her misdeeds seems like they're back in uh back together well the next scene is uh danny meeting with marshak and you find out that marshak has his radio because he he had gone into the uh, headmaster's office earlier and looked for the radio in his desk and he couldn't find it uh mm -hmm. from the guy who actually took it from him and apparently Marshak has had it the whole time and he's just been listening to Jefferson Airplane and memorizing <laughs> the lyrics to uh, Somebody to Love because he repeats it back to him. Well, I thought he said, um, he, I thought he recited the names of the group because these are the, the members of the airplane. Well, he he said, uh, when the truth is gone and... Oh, right. Yeah, before that. Whatever, yeah. like, whatever the, the opening lyric is, I forget it off the top of my head right now. But yeah, and then he starts naming out, like, oh, you, you know, these are the people that wrote the that, that song. Mm -hmm. And then he hands it over back to him. <laughs> and of course, Dan is just like, nod his head, like, yep. <laughs> Still high. And so, uh, yeah, and then back at Larry's office, he gets the retainer from Ron Meshbesher for $3,000. <laughs> Uh, but he does get some good news, though, right? Well, that's where he gets the. Uh, he, he decides to take the money from Clive and change his grade for him. Mm -hmm. What is the good news? Uh, oh, he the, got tenure. The, yeah. yeah, the principal comes in. Or is it the principal? Well, I, he was on the tenure committee. I don't, I don't know what his right. official title was. Yeah, lets him know he's he's going to get tenure. This is where everything escalates very quickly. This is like the last five minutes of the film. As he gets Tornado a phone warning. Tornado warning, storm in the area. He gets a phone call from his doctor, who he had seen in the beginning, of course. Uh, and apparently, it seems to seems to be like he has cancer because he says he wants him to come in to discuss the results of his X-rays. Better come in right doesn't now. Wanna, yeah, doesn't want to discuss them over the phone. When do you want to do it? Right now. Yeah, very timely. Very urgent. Meanwhile, Danny's at school, and they have this tornado warning, and for some reason, they all go outside. Yeah, well, they were gonna go to the basement of the synagogue, I believe. That's why they were outside. Oh, so they, so they didn't have the tunnel at that that time. <laughs> yeah, the tunnel. They, <laughs> they made the tunnels. If if this was <laughs> if this was more modern, they would have had a tunnel. Exactly. Exactly. Not because they're Jews, but because it's Minnesota <laughs> and it gets cold walking between buildings. Right. 
things can't be made. Well, the Skyways weren't a thing yet, so yeah, the Skyway is an attempt at answering that, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, I went to College of Mankato. They had skyways, they had tunnels. I mean, all the buildings are connected. There's the tunnels of the sky. (laughs) I guess my main question for this this film, Zolly, is how this relates to the Torah, because I've been told or I read somewhere that... The no answer thing. You get no answers about whatever. You don't find out what happens to his cancer x-ray. You don't know if... You know, gets the Hebrew school kids. You don't know why the guy's teeth had something religiously significant inscribed on them. Impossibly, it is uh, the one that yeah, and the kid's dad is like, accept the mystery, accept the mystery. But the well, from what I've read online, it says in the Torah that you will find revelation in troubled skies. Is this true? The revelation being that there is no answer, just shit happens, I think. That's what I was wondering, because it seems like from that statement, find revelation in troubled skies, because it ends with them looking at the tornado. Yes. The film cuts. Before, you know, the hammer comes down. Yeah. Well, if the if the Jews got to the New Testament, they would know that revelations <laughs> is when the Apocalypse comes. <laughs> no, I know that is the ultimate dichotomy. There is no, there are no answers. Here. I don't mean to sound like I'm Rabbi Yaakov Eckelstein on Fox right. News, but like the Torah does not, you know, it only asks more questions, doesn't give you the answers. Okay, like, is that know. that's kind of what I my understanding was? Okay, okay, let's say it's you will find revelation in troubled skies. Well, that's that's not telling me the answer. That's just saying what I'm already seeing. The looking up and the trouble you will find revelation. Well, what kind of revelation? <laughs> what revelation am I gonna have looking into these troubled skies? So, like you're saying, it doesn't give you an answer, it just kind of explains the question better, I guess. <laughs> you know, the more we talk about this, the more I realize this is probably why uh, it's such a stereotype that Jews are so neurotic. Well, no answer, yeah. <laughs> With all these questions and no answers, <laughs> I'd be anxious too. Well, you know, the Christians have the similar kind of shtick. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. It's an answer without giving you an answer. Well, the Christians have Jesus. All things are possible through yeah, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The, the magical stuff. Okay, Mac. <laughs> no, and that's, it's, they, they, that's, each successive Abrahamic religion more or less figures out the problems of the last one. Sure. You know, from a storytelling perspective, at least. It seems like it's been true over the decades, if not centuries, that Christians have felt close to, you know, they definitely feel a lot closer to the Jews than they do Muslims or, oh. or you know, Sikhs or Shintoists, any other religion in the world. It seems like we're almost, you know, we're, we're second cousins, basically. Yes. Well, the... Christians, Jews, and Muslims technically worship the same God. Technically, yeah. Yeah. And they all technically believe in Jesus, right? They just don't think that Jesus is the Son of God. We are the only ones who believe that, correct? You talk to the Muslims, they'll say, well, he was a prophet, but he wasn't, you know, he was the prophet. (laughs) The prophet, Muhammad, who married a 13-year-old. I thought it was like a five-year-old. Nine-year-old. Nine-year-old. It was like seven, but they didn't consummate till she was nine or something. Like he waited a 
He waited a couple of years. I mean, that's a, that's like Gandhi. You know, he used to lay in bed with his teenage uh, nieces and uh, test himself. Yeah, but Ben Kingsley didn't do that. Ben Kingsley. <laughs> ben Kingsley, he's Jewish, right? Or no? Yeah, well, probably, yeah. I'm assuming he is. He's also part Indian, which makes his Gandhi thing not yellow face. It makes it Oh really? That's true. Yeah. He is he is like half Indian or a quarter Indian. Bad for even thinking anything. Oh, because he's British, right? So he's like the, the British Indian. Looks he looks exactly Gandhi and Ben Kingsley look the same. It's fine. Right. No, but, it's not brown face. But I don't think Ben Kingsley hated black people as much as Gandhi did. No, Gandhi like, got up. He, Gandhi probably motivated himself to become a lawyer in an apartheid society so he could oppress black people. <laughs> his dream that finally there'll be somebody under me that I'll be able to shit on. And that's that's the caste, that caste system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So getting back to a serious man, there isn't really other any more insight you can give us related to the Torah yep. and its no relation to the film. The same resolution is the is the Twilight Zone resolution. There is no resolution. It's just despair, <laughs> thrilling ass condemnation of the viewer. Uh, are there any other points of interest in the film related to Judaism that you want to point out that we're probably not privy to? Oh um, no! I mean, that's they basically go through everything. I mean, they give you the dibic and and you know the goiti thing is like a better. It, I forget that that in its way is a vignette, and sure. it's a better than average vignette. Yeah, because that that's as as interesting a thing as the entirety of the movie pie, in my in my belief, a mystery about why you know you've got Hebrew letters on your teeth. Um, that's just mind I mean, you know, still 20 years later almost thinking about it. Still. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like an edge of your seat story almost. You're very I'm very engaged the whole time. And even when you even when there is no payoff, it there is a payoff because it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. That is a that's another vignette. It, I love how it's edited. I like the music accompaniment soundtrack. Um yeah, it's a Terrific, great scene. Yeah. Agreed. Do you want to rate it? We should rate it. Yes. Uh, I liked that it was a movie about trauma, and I liked that it explored it through generations. We'll do our our system, which you are more than familiar with now, Zali, and then also we'll do a Letterboxd star rating as well. So, Zali, at uh, the WTM tiered system. Like five for five. So the ASAP rating? Yeah. Okay, so you'd give it five out of five in Letterboxd, of course. All right, uh, Brett, what say you? I uh, I gave it four out of five in Letterboxd, which is a uh, very solid WTM soonish. Soonish. Indeed it is. I also gave it a soonish, but I soonish. changed my rating after this viewing from a four stars to four and a half on Letterboxd. It just seems like there's not really many flaws you can pick out with the film. There's things that might anger you or you disagree with in terms of the story and its lack of answers, but I think there's so many little details. Like like you said, I think the more you watch it, the more you probably get out of it because you pick up the little, you know, details that they sprinkled along the way. My point earlier was that you know I I, I relate to a lot of the, the Minnesota niceties of it. That's where I find the humor in. It isn't. 
I don't watch this movie and think any like Jewish uh, customs or something that I'm not privy to. Like, I don't find that funny. Like, I don't laugh at it because it's something Jewish or, you know, they're Jewish, silly Jewish stuff. It's all like I find the Jewish aspects to this film fascinating. I want to like learn more about it. Now, I don't want to convert, so I don't want to. <laughs> Not that you'd allow me either. It seems like <laughs> you're allowed to convert. Well, you, you could convert. We just know that you're not a real one. <laughs> but I think that's kind of important to bring up. It doesn't, I don't think it makes fun of Judaism at all, as you know, sometimes Jews are wont to do, at least stereotypically, self deprecating and whatnot. I think. Like the stuff that I guess I don't understand. Like I don't laugh at it because of that. I laugh at it because of the, the things I can relate to and the the aspects that I, I don't know about. I guess I just find interesting and want to learn more, which I, I guess it's expected from Jewish filmmakers. Yes, that would not would not disparage religion, but there are the stereotypes, of course, of self deprecating and you know you watch Curb sometimes and. When they are doing certain Jewish customs, it seems like they're, I don't know if lamenting or disparaging is the right word, but they they poke fun at a lot of things in the religion, it seems like. Yeah, it's all up for mockery. But um, yeah, it's all, it's all treated pretty seriously, if you will, in this film. What about you, Brett? Did you learn a lot about Judaism with this film? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh... I don't know if I'd say a, a lot, but there are some things, yes, that I was not aware of before, for sure. Probably brought up a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get very many answers, it seems well, like. Well, like I said, I, I I came to realize after discussing this movie that, yes, it's uh, totally understandable why Jews are so neurotic <laughs> when their whole religion is based on Questions without answers. Sure. That that could be a problem. But yeah, some of the other stuff like I don't know about, like the uh the ritual divorce and you know, things like that. All right. Well, should we get into a few more fun facts? Any uh, little tidbits that you know of uh, off the top of your head there, Azali? No, no. Okay. You didn't know anybody that was in the production, any extras no, or anything? No, this one. Did have you gone to the synagogue that's in this film? Oh uh, no, I have not. At least I don't uh, think. How many are there in St. Louis Park? Probably like five or twelve. Five or twelve. Really? I didn't know there was that many. Oh yeah. So I assume there's one where like it's almost like denominations in Christianity. Like there's one where the Hasidic Jews go to, and then there's there's Hasidic ones and reform ones, and they don't really intermix too much. Sure. But all I mean. Hey everybody, here's some fun facts. All right, here's one. The names of the characters who ride the school bus with Danny Gopnik are the names of children that the Coen brothers grew up with. Here's a fun fact. Larry sees Mrs. Samsky bathing from the, uh, sunbathing from the roof of his house and falls in lust with her. In 2 Samuel 11, King David does the same thing with uh, Bathsheba, whose husband is also away on business. Mrs. Samsky's husband was away on business. Always away on business. Lonely housewife. Here's a fun fact. Most of the doorposts throughout the movie, including the Gopniks and Mrs. Samskis, have a small box attached to them. This is a mezuzah, case containing passages from the Torah, 
uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and 11, 13 through 21, which Jews traditionally affix to the door frames of their houses, is a constant reminder of God's presence. A mezuzah also functions as a sign that a Jewish person occupies the house or works in the building onto which it is affixed. So in this movie, the frequent sight of mezuzahs on door frames is one of the many indications that most of the characters are Jewish. That's, that's... And there, there was an episode of Curb where they, they made a big deal about having to have a mezuzah up before Larry's dad came to visit. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware of it from that. Uh, Zali, what is your experience with mezuzahs? Is that still like oh, a yeah. prevalent thing? Is that something that you practice? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have one. Yeah, I have, um, you know, several. Well, many entrances. They're kind of ubiquitous. I don't think people notice them. I don't think anyone notices them. Oh, really? I think because like New York and shit, like people just don't even know what they are. They just yeah. think that it's just the thing that's on a door. Everyone <laughs> has them. I think. I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Here's another fun fact. Rabbi Marshak misquotes Jefferson Airplane's Somebody Love, changing all the joy within you dies to all the hope within you dies. Though this is appropriate given Danny's family situation. Furthermore, he then names three or four members of the band comically stumbling over Jorma Kakonen, Kakonen's last name, as an apparent attribution to the quote, but the song was, in fact, written by Grace Slick's brother-in-law, Darby Slick. So here it says, The Red Owl was a real Midwest grocery store chain with several stores in the Twin Cities area, including Knollwood Plaza and St. Louis Park, about two miles south of the Cohen family home. Red Owl, mentioned in the film, is identified as being in Bloomington, uh, suburb some ways to the south of St. Louis Park. The significance in Rabbi Nachner's anecdote is that Sussman's investigation of the teeth mystery takes him on a drive in the middle of the night that would have taken about an hour and a half round trip, uh, far enough to seem just a little obsessed, but not too much. The red owl sign used in an exterior scene in the movie was a genuine antique, which unfortunately was accidentally dropped and destroyed after filming. Mm. That law firm I mentioned earlier that's in Burn After Reading, it says here that it's called Tuckman Marsh. I don't know if it's Tuckman Marsh. I don't know about that one. It, I thought it was Tubman or Tugman, but... Here's a fun fact. Larry's daughter, Sarah, Sarah repeatedly uh, talks about going to the Hole with her friends. The Hole is a music club in the basement of the U of M, University of Minnesota, student, uh, Minnesota Student Union building that opened in the 60s. Oh, that makes sense. Here's another fun fact. Uh, Michael Stuhlberg originally auditioned for the role of the shtetl husband in the prologue. He was at a disadvantage uh, with other actors considered for the part due to not being fluent in Yiddish. But through his audition, the Coen brothers became interested in him for Larry. So he wasn't even trying to go for the, the lead role. All right. Uh, I have one more here. Coen Brothers stated that the opening scene was nothing more than a little short that they made up to get the audience in the proper mood and that there is no meaning behind it. However, it sums up the opening quote from Rashi, receive the simplicity, everything that happens to you. So, again, no answers. It's all a mood. It's all a vibe, right? Yeah. All right, Zolly, let's get your plugs. 
Zolly Becker show. There was a couple new episodes of or new videos of Comic Shop Apocalypse. Yeah, several. Uh, yeah, on, on my YouTube. Uh, search my name on YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Instagram and Facebook, and I'll I'll add you hopefully. Yeah, there's always new episodes of Comic Shop Apocalypse, probably every week. And also on Twitter, you're up to about eight thousand followers. I can get deleted any second. I delete it any second. I do not trust Twitter. Uh, that's the thing, though, because I one of the last times I think maybe for Stargate, it was like not long after Elon Musk had bought it, and I got deleted several times. Several times you got deleted or whatever. He he said every time you get around six thousand followers, it seems to be you know banned. You get, get me. But now you're up to eight thousand. Musk is still in charge. It seems like uh, you're well on your way to ten. A trip to Auschwitz, baiting him out. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, he's uh, he's distracted now, trying to get all them AI Taylor Swift yeah. uh, photos off the internet, off of, uh, of Twitter. It's a way bigger problem. I saw that Trailer Swift was trending yesterday, and it was a bunch of like uh, AI pictures of like. Trailer trash, Taylor Swift, like <laughs> like a really fat one working at McDonald's. It was pretty funny. That's probably why they're some uh, pretty uh, pornographic ones that I saw. Oh, yeah, there. there's some, some vicious ones, dude. Vicious ones. Zolly, you're also on Letterboxd these days. Yes, I'm kind of, I don't really go at it that hard because it's 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 kind of like a pointless. The audience there is, is very small. Yeah, but you can keep uh keep in touch with your with your film friends that way. Find yeah. out what we've been watching. Very very small, but very uh very uh rabid. Yes, very rabid. And I know Zal, you do like to post what you're watching on Twitter and all the other oh. social media. You'll post like five seconds of whatever oh, yeah. movie you're watching. But I don't know what I'm watching. But like I don't really believe in critiquing things, really. Sure. I think things just exist. Like, there's no good way or bad way to use space meeting. Space meeting just exists. <laughs> there's, there's discussing it, but there's no, like, yeah. Just exists. Yeah. We more so try to analyze on the show, but take a little bit, but yeah, it's we discuss- don't do whole episodes to, uh, about movies we don't like. No, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying like well, discussing film is pointless. Well, but, we, we did an episode on Takeaway. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> i think they're all equally important and equally you have to see them right that's been like the the well, kind of the uh the mission statement of our show back in episode 75 or whatever we want to uh we want to spread our enthusiasm for film yes that's what the point of the show is Take takeaway was the exception that proved the rule <laughs> yes <laughs> An Aussie film that Stu had us watch. So it was it was the it was so jarring to hear us talk about a movie that we didn't like <laughs> that that you realize that we never do that. Yep. Not on these episodes. Maybe on the recently seen, but we don't go all yeah. in on those ones. And even those we tend to mostly talk about the ones we liked. If we talk about ones we don't, it's because we didn't watch another three or four movies in that <laughs> that time period. But that's that's true. I digress. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zolly. Thank for, you. Uh, for providing your knowledge and insight. Sorry if you're taking me off track. No. We didn't we, even get off track on this. Yeah. This is a pretty straight and narrow episode. This is pretty focused. I was, I was too bad when I do it. 
you could have uh, taken you could have derailed us a couple more times. You would have well. No, no, I feel bad because I'm a guest. I don't want to. I don't want to take a shit on your seat here. Zala, you're you're uh, you're a big part of the show. You're more than just a guest. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll have you on again, hopefully soon. Otherwise, uh, Brett, where can people buy some lovely merchandise and support the show financially? Head on over to wtmwatchthismovie.creator-spring.com. You can follow us on X at watchthis-movie or Brett at PositivelyWolf1, which is also his letterbox profile. Mine is an Eric underscore Mulder. Uh, please rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, pretty much anywhere podcasts are downloaded or listened to. Real, real quick, we should, we should uh, throw out there, Brother Clint, who was on the Fargo episode, is now on Letterboxd. And so and is Michael. Uh, uh, Mike McGivern is also on there. Uh, be Mike's is Mick, give it to me. And uh, brother Clint, I think is brother underscore Clint. Uh, the links to their letterbox profiles are in the episode from Fargo on the show notes. So, so if you want to follow those guys, go ahead, do it. All right. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right. Check you later. Bye. Later. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case. Monday is timely. This is not... Uh, please, Embers is not the forum for legality. You're so right. Mm.